Welcome to Our Story, an exploration of African-American history short enough to listen to and powerful enough to remember. Our goal is to enlighten, inspire, and empower us all to learn more about where we've come from, regardless of our racial and cultural backgrounds. I'm the professor. Today's subject is Arthur Ashe's triumph over Jimmy Connors at Wimbledon in 1975. I hope you enjoy If I say tennis to you, you'll probably think of these sounds. Ball hitting racket, shoe shuffling across pavement to make another sound of the ball hitting the racket, and on and on until the point is over. Tennis is a refuge of a long bygone image of sport that is genteel, polite, and elevated. There are no blaring sound systems, obnoxious PA announcers, or cheerleaders contorting their bodies to draw hungry eyes. It's just a simple game played by players who pay as much attention to their comportment as they do to their form. And in the annals of this game, there has been no greater exemplar of class and sportsmanship than this man. Yes, but uh, I really don't want to do that. Uh, sometimes you wish you could, but on second thought, it's not too good because uh, you don't want to look back. Uh, I always look forward to the rest of today and tomorrow. Uh, what's in the past is past, and there's water under the dam, and you learn from your mistakes, and you must go from there. Arthur, I, I think that if I were your... This is Arthur Ashe. Since he's been gone for almost 30 years, it's probably worth spending some time remembering why he's so revered in his sport and beyond. He was born in Richmond, Virginia in 1943, and when he was seven, he started playing tennis at the public park his father was caretaker of. It didn't take long for his natural talent to be noticed and for him to be inducted into that tradition most peculiar to tennis, capturing very young people and training them to be champions before they're much older than 10. Ash took to his training exceptionally well, particularly the elements of it that related to sportsmanship and etiquette. Because he was trying to rise in a whites-only sport at a time when whites-only was an overt thing in many places, his mentor, Robert Walker Johnson, believed that it was only with character and behavior that was beyond even the slightest hint of reproach that Ash would be given any sort of a chance. Despite the fact that he had to maneuver around any number of racist hurdles to his competing, Ash was able to become the first African-American to win the National Junior Indoor Tennis title in 1963, winning a tennis scholarship to UCLA. So go ahead and add Arthur Ashe to a roster of UCLA athletes that includes Jackie Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, and Florence Griffith-Joyner. Jeez, go UCLA, right? At UCLA, Ashe won the NCAA championship. We would talk about Ash turning pro at this point, but tennis being tennis, Ash couldn't fully turn pro until his, uh, after his time in college. To retain the ability to play in the International Davis Cup competitions and to get the lead from the Army, which he was forced to join because he had gotten tuition help from ROTC participation at UCLA, Ash had to participate in major tournaments as an amateur. That meant that when he won the US Open in 1969, he had to forfeit his prize money to the man he had beaten. His victory made him the first man to win the U.S. Open in the Open era. Ash won the, US, the Australian Open in 1970, cementing his position as one of the finest tennis players of his era. Though his individual accomplishments are more than impressive, he really made his mark representing the United States in the Davis Cup. 
He helped the USA to four victories in the Cup and made representing his country a point of particular pride because it signaled to him that he had been accepted by a broader society that had previously worked so hard to hold him at its margins. Try to remember this as we go forward. The Davis Cup was a big deal to Arthur Ashe. All told, Ashe won 76 singles titles, 18 doubles titles, and he retired having won more than 75% of his professional matches. His achievements on the court were recognized when he was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1985. But this story isn't about the sweep of a great man's life, as great as he was. It's about one very dramatic three-hour period in July of 1975. Here we are, it's men's final Sunday at Wimbledon, known to everyone as the Cathedral of Tennis. It is the only tournament many players dream of winning, and Arthur Ashe was no different. He found himself in this final, his first in nine years of competing, after a six-match odyssey that saw him have to eat, beat future uber-champion Bjorn Borg and prevail in a five-set marathon in the semifinals. With him being in his tennis dotage at 32, Ashe was a surprise finalist and a heavy underdog against his opponent who happened to be the one man on the entire tennis tour who he authentically did not like. I'm not going to play. Get the referee out here and the, the supervisor. Get the, call him out here. You're the one wasting my time. You're the one wasting my time. Call him out here. Call him out here. Jimmy's wrong. This is Jimmy Connors. We don't need to go much into his background or anything, because this isn't about Jimmy Connors. But let's get a sense for how good he was by where he's ranked on a few lists of the greatest men's tennis players of all time. 8th, 10th, and 7th. Arthur Ashe doesn't appear in the top 10 of any of these lists. We believe in telling the truth here on our story, and the truth is that Jimmy Connors was a better tennis player than Arthur Ashe was. Hands down. And this was particularly so in 1975 when Connors was the defending champion. He was only 22 years old, and he was fresh off a rampage through his six matches that didn't see him lose a single set. Ash didn't dislike Jimmy Connors because Connors was better than him. That would be beneath Arthur Ash. Ash didn't like Jimmy Connors because Connors' brash style and general dickishness grated on Ash's sensibilities for what a tennis player should represent. Connors had also proven himself deeply selfish, defying a 1973 boycott of Wimbledon that was designed to give the players the very power that he was now using to make so much money. He also refused to play for the USA in the Davis Cup, remember the Davis Cup, because he wouldn't make any money on it. Ash so disliked Connors that he spoke frankly about him to reporters, calling him misguided and confessing that we hardly say hello. For his part, Connors didn't like Ash either, suing him for libel for comments Ash had made about his Davis Cup boycott. So, on that worn, hollowed patch of grass at Center Court Wimbledon, this was going to happen. And so we have the dramatist's dream, the clash of old versus new, class versus brash, style versus aggression. As much as the tennis community and many other communities wanted to see Ash win, reality was that Connors was by far the best tennis player in the world. The man had completed the previous season only losing four matches and winning 99. The expected result was so grisly that famous sports writer Frank DeFord, a friend of Ash's, refused to watch for fear of his friend being embarrassed. There was probably only one person alive who believed that Arthur Ashe had a chance of beating Jimmy Connors. It was a good thing, then, that that one person was Arthur Ashe. 
Ash threw shade on Connors before a ball was even struck. Rather than come out in sleek designer-sponsor-supported gear, Ash strode out onto center court wearing his red, white, and blue USA Davis Cup sweatshirt, needling Connors for his lack of patriotism. Fortunately for Ash, he had a plan beyond sartorial chiding. Connors was a superb counterpuncher, meaning that he ate up aggression and redirected it back to obliterate the aggressor. This was usually a major problem for Ash, who played a very aggressive style full of hard-hitting and challenges to his opponent. This time, however, Ash decided to play the soft game, taking the pace off the ball, lobbing, chipping, and volleying. Hey, two set points. Ash implemented his strategy immediately, and it worked. He took the first set 6-1, with Connors completely flummoxed by Ash's tactics. Instead of things getting better for Connors, in the second set they only got worse with him dropping that set by the same 6-1 count, but with him barely winning any points at all. Connors wasn't going to roll over. He was a great player, after all. He won the third set 7-5 and put up great resistance during the fourth set. The two players were level at four games apiece in the fourth, and Connors serving. Connors blew a forehand volley to hand Ash the game and a chance to serve out the championship at 5-4. Ash continued to play calm and collected tennis while Connors splayed errors all over the court. At 40-15, Ash found himself with two championship points to make history. Two points for Arthur Ash. And with a simple put-away smash on the heels of a brilliant wide serve, Arthur Ashe dispatched his nemesis Jimmy Connors and became the first, and so far the only, black man to win Wimbledon. So Arthur Ashe won Wimbledon in 1975 and defeated a notorious jerk in order to do so. It's a fun story, and a good one, but is there any deeper meaning beyond that? Of course there is for those who enjoy the triumph of the intellect, or those who believe that how you do things is at least as important as what you do. But perhaps the deepest meaning is carried in the man who achieved them. Arthur Ashe so embodied the highest ideals of his sport, his people, and his country, that the thing that is most striking in watching the 45-year-old footage of his greatest victory is that the man was already so much the victor before he even stepped on the court. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Story. Please visit our Facebook page by searching Our Story to leave feedback or to ask questions. 
Also, please feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Your thoughts will not only make our show better, but they'll allow our programming to reach more ears out there. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.